Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. I'm really excited about this one. Today, we're going to talk about data science, what it is, how it's evolved, and things we can accomplish within an EHS program, within a sustainability program, by looking at data in a statistical way. I think oftentimes when we talk about just looking at our environmental data, we're talking about it in the context of compliance we're talking about it in the context of developing averaging times and you know how do we compare our data against limits. We may talk a little bit about that also, but we are really going to go, I think, a layer deeper today and look at data more broadly. And I hope that some of the things you hear today will allow you to look at all of the data in your EHS and S programs and maybe do some cool stuff with it. So to help me with this conversation, I'm joined today by Aditya Shivkumar. He's a colleague of mine that is a technical manager at all four. Aditya is a very versatile guy. Uh, He's a civil engineer, environmental engineer, and importantly for this conversation, also studied statistics during his education. He spent the past eight years helping industries with their continuous monitoring system programs, and he's got a real knack for doing what I was actually talking about earlier, helping facilities to assess their available data particularly on the emissions side, and extract useful information out of it in a different way. So we're going to cover all that and more later. But first off, Aditya, welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks, Colin. I'm excited to be on this podcast. I I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it it really feels great to be on one as a guest, uh, specifically when, uh, you know, the conversation is about something that really excites you, right? So, no, thanks for having me. Good stuff. All right, let's get into the meat of it. Let's just go right ahead. And and like most of our listeners know, we try to be forward-looking. I think this is a great topic that fits that mold. But to look forward, we usually sort of define things first and foremost. So, Aditya, I'll put the very broad and general question out there. When you hear data science, uh, what do you think of in a nutshell? Right. It's hard to explain it in a nutshell, but so you, using data for some, you know, data of some kind to make decisions is, you know, as old as humanity, right? Even the modern data methods of using statistics has been around for a long time. I think, I think the term data science was coined sometime in, in the, in the, in the late seventies and a variety of new techniques were developed in the eighties and nineties uh, to leverage data that was being collected. And however, these techniques were more theoretical and could not be tested in the real world, mostly because there was not enough computing resources. And once you started getting a lot of computing power and the computing you know, capabilities started to increase, a lot of these statistical methods could be applied uh, to real world problems. And then later, you know, smart businesses, mostly in you know, finance and e-commerce that dealt with a lot of data you know, started applying these methods uh, successfully, made a lot of money. So, so basically, the, the concept of data science has evolved a lot over these, you know, over the years. And now, 
covers anything and everything connected to data. You know, think about automation, go machine learning, just simple statistics. So the data nuts in a nutshell, you know, the data nuts here you know, out there may laugh at this, but data science to me is all about finding signal in the noise, right? I know it's a simplified kind of definition of such a broad concept, but I think anything that can help extract information from a bunch of data can be put under the uh, data science umbrella. Aditya, it's very interesting that you mentioned the addition of computing power and some of the different spaces where data started to become more widely used when that computing power became available. I think you mentioned finance and things like that that are sort of natural fits. I was on with Marjorie Moore a couple of weeks ago talking about artificial intelligence. Right. And where they're taking some AI tools and applying them to permits and regulations and provisions within those sort of, you know, where the AI can read and it learns and it distills down requirements. And it was the same kind of conversation there. Actually, that type of stuff had been being used in legal fields and things like that for a while. And now it's being taken over to the EHS space. So it sounds like in the evolution of data, that may, may be a similar thread. Would you agree? Yeah, it does. Uh, a lot of the applications, you know, in, in different fields are being applied elsewhere right now in, in medical science, you know, in, in legal, for example, uh, you, you're using a lot of you know, NLP techniques, you know, language processing uh, to create stories in journalism. You're basically, you know, having computers or models write articles just like, you know, humans do. And all of that has been carried over from methods that were used just in finance, very specific uh, research and development kind of things to now, you know, to the in a broad scale, you know, consumer uh, kind of industries. So, yeah, no, that's I think it's been a beautiful transition. And I think we're going to see a lot of that more. Beyond the addition of computing power that allows us to look for that signal that you mentioned in a very large set of data, beyond just the addition of computing power, Within the EHS and sustainability space, what kind of things have you seen evolve within that space specifically around data over the past decade or more? Right. Yeah. No, I think over the past the past decade, almost every industry, you know, wants to be known for data-driven decision making and want to, you know, adopt data-centric technologies. Right. So while some industries such as, you know, we just talked about high tech, you know, advertising, e-commerce, finance were early adopters and became extremely successful using data. Other industries, you know, were relatively slow. Right. And uh, the environmental industry used statistics and data in very specific applications. You know, continuous monitoring systems, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, is a great example. Right. You're collecting a lot of data and you can do a lot of you know, good stuff with that. But in general, the EHS industry uh, had been a little slower in looking at problems from uh, from a data lens. And I have my own kind of theory around why it you know has been relatively slow. I think it's an incentive problem, right? So industries that were quick to adopt modern data methods were able to directly and quickly monetize their efforts, right? So that incentive was almost absent or not as apparent in, in the environmental or health and safety industry. But the good news is, you know, in the last decade or two, we have seen multiple incentives within the EHS and sustainability space and climate space that, you know, is kind of nudging the industry to explore and apply new approaches to kind of realize these incentives. 
And I think I think there are key there are three key incentives or drivers, if you will, that have emerged uh, in the last two decades and are you know even currently influencing the EHS and sustainability industry uh, to experiment and leverage a lot of this data uh, that's available. Um, I think the key, the first of those three drivers is regulatory, right? So when when it comes to environment, you know, health and safety, you know, it's the regulations that drive a lot of these things. Uh, the requirements, you know, mandated by applicable laws and rules. And here, the incentive is to be in 100% compliance, you know, all the time, right? So agencies require you to, um, you know, there's this concept of reasonable inquiry, right? So if agencies require the owner to certify whatever they're submitting and whatever they're saying is in compliance to be based on, you know, information and belief formed after reasonable inquiry. So, see, the official or the owner of the organization should be able to demonstrate they have that they have systems in place that checks and verifies the accuracy and the representativeness of the data collected, right? So, so facilities need to to keep a close eye on the trends and you know anomalies in in, in the data being collected, and and if you you know more recently agencies like KMD, you know Clean Air Markets Division. Uh, run analytics. They run analytics on your data. They run checks. They have their own stuff. So when they use these checks, they use these analytics to to kind of make decisions around who are they going to audit, right? Uh, to do a full fledged audit. And and more recently, we've seen uh, state agencies and even you know federal agencies do remote audits of data. Um, so the data can tell you know uh, uh, tell uh, a lot about the quality of your compliance system. So, so it's super important for facilities to make sure the data is representative. So we are seeing a lot of adoption there to use data for proactive compliance. Uh, and even similarly in health and safety space, there are requirements that need uh, a lot of data intensive processes to achieve 100% compliance. The, the next driver is kind of related, but it's, it's the changing policy landscape, right? Specifically in the environmental space. So if you see the rulemaking in, in the last decade, uh, you will see increasing reliance on transparency, public access, benchmarking, and all of this, and, and the data collected by the agencies is the center of all of this, right? And the data collected by the agencies also is, is also enabling this transition. So if you look at environmental justice, for example, right? We're talking about environmental justice initiatives a lot these days, and the entire decision-making process is based on the combination of environmental data and it's based on the combination of environmental data with social demographic data to enable a fair system. And organizations should be able to do their own analysis, you know, with publicly available data and see where they stand, uh, you know, in, within the industry and uh, to identify, you know, risks that can, you know, before they materialize. And the last driver, I think, and it, it, this is the most, I think, emerging or uh, most influencing right now is the sustainability and ESG initiatives. So we're seeing a lot of this um, show up, um, you know, in, in our industry right now. I think we are very much in a world where, you know, sustainability, the term sustainability is not just a buzzword anymore, right? Big money and brain power, uh, you know, are being deployed to quantify sustainability and the impacts of sustainable you know, business practices on their bottom line. And uh, the most effective way to show, to show that commitment towards sustainability is to quantify your footprint and track progress. And specifically for E in ESG, uh, you know, the environmental aspect, 
this cannot be done without you know having and analyzing a lot of environmental data. So organizations are focusing on you know gathering a ton of data and you know understanding the status, using data to improve processes and uh, visualize what the data looks like uh, relative to peers and competitors. And and lastly, I think all of this you know was enabled by a fundamental catalyst, and that catalyst is 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 the ease of access to tools that enabled you to do data analytics. So working with data is a lot easier right now, and it's easier than ever. And also there are plenty of knowledge workers, if you will, or consultants, you know, like ourselves, uh, that come from different technical backgrounds and are able to help clients realize tangible value from from data-driven processes. When you're looking for where activity is, there's probably some incentive and, and things like that behind that. So it's an interesting, I like the framing of it, Aditya. I want to, I want to actually hang on to those categories that you mentioned, you know, and how you framed it out. And just to revisit them, you know, we've got a regulatory category that's been around for a while, but certainly the intensity of it might be increasing. Two, you mentioned there's a changing policy landscape out there. And three, you mentioned sustainability and ESG and how that's evolving. So I would just say for listeners, hang on to those three things. And you might hear those in some of the examples that we go through. So that's an interesting way to, to frame it. Appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit about, we've sort of said, okay, here's where we're at. Here's the landscape. Here's why this is becoming more important. Now let's hone in a little bit more and say, okay, we've got a set of data and we want to look at this set of data to identify a signal. Like you mentioned earlier, we want to identify some signal that makes us better, more efficient, more compliant, whatever it may, you know, ability to benchmark better, whatever it may be. Walk through with each of the steps on how a decision-making process looks. You've got a data set. You're going to make some decisions around a given category what are the general steps? Can you frame that out for us? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so the, the process of using using data for insights is, is really crucial. And although the, the specific steps uh, may vary depending on the scope and the goal of the project or what we're going to p- accomplish, the workflow uh, for a data-related project is quite generic. And, and for business, specifically for business decisions and process decisions uh, in the environmental industry, you know, the life cycle can be roughly divided into, let's say, six steps, right? So the first step, again, um, you know, as for any project is to clarify your objectives. Uh, what do you want to do, right? You need to come up with a goal and the objectives need not be, you know, super specific, but should be as specific as possible. Right. So when analyzing data, we are trying to let the data tell the story, uh, you know, using a statistical lens. So it is easy for project teams to kind of lose track of what they want to do. And this is more like it becomes a kind of an R&D project. Right. So it's really important to have clear objectives and uh, clear objectives will help keep track of the progress. Uh, so that's step one. Uh, have objectives, have goals, uh, be as specific as possible. The next step is uh, data collection. So you're going to collect relevant data and you're going to make sure that data is of good quality. Now, this is for the, you know, for most of the projects out there, this is going to be the most expensive step because for collecting data, you have to design experiments. You have to find out how you're going to collect the data, build systems around it. 
And then once you get the data, you have, you have to make sure it's, it's, it's of good quality. So there are a lot that goes into it. So a lot of resources are spent. I think the majority of the resources spent, you know, uh, in the data project is, uh, it's going to be around collecting and verifying the quality of data. Right. So, and you know, you, you know, the concept of garbage in garbage out. So you want to avoid that. You want to make sure you get good data and that's going to be, you know, one of the most resource intensive steps. Uh, the third step, once you have good data, is uh, to prepare the data for analysis. And if you, you know, talk to data scientists, statisticians, um, you know, bulk of the time is spent in uh, preparing this data for analysis than actually analyzing data, because a lot goes into preparing the data. You have to take the data, clean it up, uh, convert it, transform it into a format that you can use to build models, right? So real world data is is messy. So you have to make it set it up in a way that it's easier to apply the statistical assumptions uh, or statistical techniques uh, that you can make sense of. Um, so preparing the data is, is one of the most time consuming steps, a very important step in the data uh, data driven process. Um, the next one is, the next step is modeling and analysis. So this is kind of the, the core part of the data project where you have all the data ready, cleaned up, and uh, you know you're applying statistical models and trying to you know, extract signals out of these models. And the final, uh, the last one, the fifth step is to uh, evaluate your models against actual data to make sure they're, you know, they agree with uh, what you're trying to do. And you can use the evaluation step to see where you are with respect to your goals or objectives. Uh, you can see how the data is is trying to answer the questions you were asking when you started the project. And the last part is implementation. And uh, this includes a lot of things that uh, are supplemental, like you know, you're basically deploying your analysis um, into, a, into kind of a report or maybe a data visualization or dashboard, uh, or maybe even automating some of these things. All of these things come under implementation. And the implementation part makes it easy for the user to, to uh, see these insights. Uh, so those are the six kind of main steps uh, and you know in any data project and i think following these six steps you know you can it'll be easier to to navigate through through any um, any data project Aditya, hold on to those six steps because we're going to talk about a continuous monitoring system program that's a good example for us to talk about because the there's lots of data available so it can serve as a good example but you sparked something for me as you were going through those steps and i thought it was worth mentioning when you were talking about sort of readying the data so that you can analyze it, uh, this is something, it, this may seem very obvious, but you know we're looking at this in our own business and evaluating our performance. And just the concept of stressing to the team that may be going into a project management or financial system and extracting information and putting it into reports, that the format of the data is important. And the best way to have data available is literally just have the data, have it vertically oriented if you're doing spreadsheets and things like that, so that then you can use some tools on the back end like, like Power BI and some of these other tools that then allow you to really take that data and manipulate it. It could just pull right from that. And I know even in our own experience, we don't necessarily always 
have that mindset, right? Like we might pull a report and it's, it's oriented a little differently or it's got a different heading or it's just got a different look to it. And it seems okay. Like I'm generating a report, but really thinking about it from the standpoint of how can we maximize the use of this data, even just the presentation of it, I think is important. I, I wonder if you could comment on that, but that's just something we've been talking about a lot lately no, and that, that philosophy. Right, absolutely. You know, organizing data to make it usable for analysis is is a big, is a very big step. And it's as I said, you know, if you ask any data nerd, um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna talk about you know how you know especially dealing with time series data, it's 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 super hard. You you said format, that's exactly it, right? You want to make sure the data is in the right format, and it's in the uh, you know to make sure what you're you know the tools you're using is looking at the data the same way that you are looking at it, right? You need to make sure, you know, it's in columns, it's it's arranged properly, it's in an array, it's in a matrix, whatever it is, you need to make sure it's it's organized. And without that, you know, it's gonna be really hard to one, build the models, and two, actually make sense of the results. Uh, what you'll see outside when it comes out, uh, you know, things that come out of the models will be really confusing if you don't know, you know, what, what, what format was used, you know, to begin with. So yeah, I think, Organization data preparation is is super important. Yeah, and I think just instilling that philosophy in the team members, like when we're putting something together, when we're extracting information from, you know, a process control system, whatever our system is where we're pulling data, let's think about how we pull it. And, and always think, okay, this data is going to be used for something. I don't know what combination of it's going to be used for something, but it's going to be used for something. So let's, let's have that kind of mindset. So interesting. Thanks for walking through that process. Let's talk a little bit. Like I said, I think the continuous monitoring systems and continuous emissions monitors, those are a good example because the, the, there's lots of data there. So we could really kind of dig into those. So let's talk a little bit about that, Aditya. And I think this is going to fit of the three incentive categories you put out there before. Certainly this is regulatory, right? but it's also the second bucket, which is changing policy and access to data from more stakeholders and everything like that. So I, I think it fits into a couple of buckets. And I think perhaps hearing this example, you can think even on the sustainability side, how, how do I take this and apply it? Right. Um, but let's talk about a, a CMS program overall and maybe tell me a little bit about kind of what a CMS program that is truly just sort of, hey, we need to comply and maybe the base level of that, like what 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 some of the characteristics of a CMS program look like in that situation versus a CMS program that has that philosophy that we just talked about of, no, 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 we're going to use this information and we're going to we're going to be able to extract some good stuff out of it. And it's going to be able to make us efficient, save us money and make us better and streamline like what do those two categories sort of look like? What are the differences between them broadly about the program? Right. Yeah. No, I think to extract useful insights, you know, out of the, the data, uh, we need we need a lot of data and we need good data. And so data quality is very important, as we discussed. And that's where the CMS world has an upper hand. Right. So yeah. we already collect a lot of data uh, through certified monitors, certified systems, analyzers. And so, so this is a lot of good data, but this data, as you mentioned, is it's not fully utilized. Uh, if you think about a, uh, a normal process, uh, you know, compliance in CMS, you're taking compliance data, uh, you are using it reactively in a sense that, you know, the, 
the emissions you monitor or processes you monitor get recorded and there are alarms and warnings. And when something goes over a limit, for example, right, uh, an alarm comes up and then you see it, you go fix it. So this is reactive. And what we're talking about, a system that kind of exhibits the philosophy of, you know, being proactive uh, and using the data to help determine or, you know, potential compliance events, uh, be prepared for those. So I think that's where the gap is, and that's where uh, monitor data uh, in CMS world can can be utilized. So these these gaps can be basically turned into opportunities uh, by extracting insights from the existing monitor data. And you know, we, so it's the the current system in the CMS world, uh, as I mentioned, is, is mostly reactive, right? So the the goal is to make it proactive. And additionally, if you think about CMS data. Uh, the output is basically uh, a result of how you operate the system. Uh, you know, uh, you operate the system that results in exhaust gases, for example, right? So the output, what you're getting is basically the result of the kind of operation, the inputs like fuel and other things. So the output, the exhaust gases, the data can tell you a lot about the process as well. So this is, you know, this is kind of the second bucket we were talking about where you can uh, you know, improve your system. Your data is being public, is put in public, and you could use data to improve your processes, not just for compliance, but for, uh, you know, process improvements. Uh, it's saving money or being more proactive. So I think uh, there are a lot of applications, you know, around that, being proactive, uh, making use of data to increase efficiency uh, from a process perspective, and also using data, different kinds of, you know, um, the statistical tools to uh, provide insights around optimal operating scenarios. So I think that's kind of where data fits in CMS, and it's it's a it's it's a great fit because you know as I said that getting data is the most expensive step, and for CMS we already have that. All we have to do is look how to use this data, and we are doing a lot of that with with multiple clients. That was part one of my data science conversation with Aditya Shivkumar. I hope you'll join us next time for part two. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.